In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're told, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Today, I want to talk about gender and sexuality in the 21st century. Who you are and to whom you're attracted, and the confusion that some folks experience. When I was, when I was in high school, terms like gender fluidity, pansexual, transgender, gender bending, weren't even known to the average student. Today, they're part of every high schooler's vocabulary. As a senior in high school, I watched the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal as Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon. In 2015, we watched Jenner morph into a woman. A lot's changed over the last 50 years when it comes to our notions of what it means to be male and female. We've also witnessed American culture's wholesale acceptance of homosexuality. What was once considered to be a perversion has today gone mainstream. It was astonishing that on the eve of the Supreme Court's decision in favor of same-sex marriage to see the White House, the seat of American democracy, decked out in the colors of the LGBTQ rainbow. I'm just saying our society's attitude towards sexuality and gender seems to have transformed overnight. Yet have we thought through the ramifications? For thousands of people, this confusion has taken its toll. Today, LGBT youth are four times more likely to commit suicide than their straight peers. More than 50% of young people claiming to be transgender have attempted suicide at least once by their 20th birthday. Gender confusion is extracting a steep price. Of course, the most commonly suggested solution is for society to be more accepting of the lifestyle. The belief is is that if we're more tolerant, the heartache will diminish. But that's not necessarily true. What if our Creator has ideas about gender and sexuality that we've ignored or even denied? What if the real solution is getting in step with the God who made us and the plans He has for gender? The truth is, gender matters because it matters to God. What I want to do this morning is show you why. Let's begin in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Realize God's creation was accomplished by specific acts over six distinct days. Each step of God's creation was marked by a separation. Rather than a uniform world of boring sameness, God's creation was full of variety. At each turn, God drew clear distinctions. In fact, Genesis begins when God divides the light from the darkness. The first strike of creation was to separate. Next, God divides the waters from under the atmosphere from the waters above the atmosphere. Afterwards, God gathers up the seas and he separates them from the dry land. He then creates plant life that reproduces and multiplies after its own particular kind. On day four, 
God again separates. This time the day from the night. He creates fish and birds and beasts, but again within very exact biological boundaries. Each order, each genus or family is narrowly specific. And every living thing is to reproduce after its own kind. Genesis tells us that God fills the sea until it teems with life, but each species multiplies after its own unique brand. In fact, the terms species and specific are from the same root word. Obviously, God places a high priority on maintaining distinctions within his creation. And understand, God himself, his very nature, is an example of of oneness, but with a distinct separation. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, was the Hebrew call to worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word translated one in Deuteronomy is the word ikad. It speaks of a compound unity. My fist is an ikad. It's one fist, but it consists of five distinct fingers. And this is the type of oneness we find in God. He is one God, but he exists in three persons, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians refer to this truth as the triune nature of God, or in short, as the Trinity. All three members of the Godhead are equal in substance and in importance, but they are distinct in the role that they play. The Father sits on the throne in heaven and is sovereign over creation. The Son comes to earth and becomes a man to redeem and to save you and me. The Spirit takes up where Jesus leaves off and points people to the Son. The Holy Spirit lives within the believing heart and imparts to us God's power. The fact that the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit promotes the Son doesn't make the Son inferior to the Father or the Spirit less divine than the Son. All three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equal in nature, but they are distinct in their roles. Now back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God reaches the apex of his creation. It's cap and crown. He creates man. But again, his work comes with a significant distinction. Let's read it again. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God separates mankind into two specific genders. Again, he divides. He divides mankind into male and female. Gender mirrors the Trinity. The distinctions of male and female both reflect God's image. You see, the unity of our humanity blended with the diversity of our gender is one way that humans were made in the image and likeness of God. Once there were two pastors who lived next door to each other. One of these men pastored the local Methodist church while the other guy pastored the local Baptist church. Well, these two families, they each had five-year-old little girl, little kids. These two kids were best of friends. One of the children was a little boy, and the other child was a little girl. 
Well, every Sunday morning, the two kids would wave to each other as they drove off to their respective churches. But on Sunday afternoon, they would get back together and they would play with each other in the front yard. Well, one blistering hot day, the kids were playing in the sprinkler. Their clothes were soaked. And so they decided to dry them off. They took off their clothes and they laid them up on the hood of the car to dry. Of course, these, were, these two children, they were just five years old. They were, they were totally innocent. But when the little boy saw the little girl without her clothes on, he just sort of stood there scratching his head. Later, he told his dad, Wow, Dad, I didn't know there was so much difference between Baptists and Methodists. <laughs> of course, Baptists and Methodists are alike in a major way. They're both Christians. Nevertheless, they have their subtle differences. And the same is true with males and females. We're alike because we are both human beings and made in God's image. But God would never want us to overlook our distinctiveness. When God created us, he did so male and female. He designed men to be men and women to be women. Men and women are equal in terms of status and favor. Both reflect God's image and glory. But equal does not mean same. God made us with distinction. Again, here's my point. Gender matters to God. He not only designed male and female, but he assigns to each gender the specific role that they're to play in the home and in the church. The biblical blueprint for the sexes not only nurtures and orders society, but most importantly, it speaks vital truths to us about God's nature. Realize the Christian God stands apart from his creation and then works within it to divide and to order life. Whereas paganism believes that if there is a God, he is part of his creation. He is trapped within his creation. That God and nature are one. That everything, all of life is one. We're, we're How many times have you heard this? All is in God and God is in all. Don't look outside of yourself for God. Look for the God within. This is the modern mantra. Oneness is now today's popular religion. And this insistence on oneness extends even to gender. This is why paganism is unisex and gender neutral. It denies any distinctions within nature that God has created, even when it comes to the sexes. Supposedly, we're all just one. This is the driving force behind the LGBT movement and their insistence on same-sex marriage. Homosexuality glorifies oneness. It erases the boundaries and the distinctions that God created between the sexes. It's all about unity with no diversity. It's oneness gone amok, and it's a direct, direct assault on God's order. And here's where all this leads. Imagine a high school where all students, male and female alike, have the right to use the girls' restroom and locker room. Gender identity and thus access to the restroom is based solely on the student's feelings, regardless of their biological body parts. The belief is, is that since we're all one, let's have equal rights to the same facilities. 
Imagine a school that insists on students wearing uniforms but can't ensure that only the girls will wear skirts. Schools where boys can't be denied access to the girls' sex education class. Schools that have eliminated single-gender sports, clubs, and activities, including the hockey team of all things. Schools that stop using gendered language like mother, father, him, her, Mr., Mrs., and instead use non-gendered language like caregivers for parents and partners for husband and wife. Imagine a school where the feelings of a 13-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl are more important than the privacy rights of the teenage girls who don't want to change clothes with him standing in their locker room. Well, today you don't have to do much imagining. Welcome to the public schools in the city of Alberta, Canada. And the trend is growing in our country as well. If you're in high school or work in the high school, you know this better than I do. School administrators today are being forced to accept the absurd notion that natural biological and psychological differences between men and women are irrelevant. Self-identification now trumps biological reality. Here's what we're being told. Masculinity and femininity are just inventions of the establishment. Male and female are just ways to engineer society and keep people in their place. You know, just hold them back from who they really are. Humans think in terms of male and female only because they've been conditioned that way. It's the result of our nurturing and our educating. But that's simply not true. The Bible teaches us that gender isn't some social fabrication, nor is it fluid and based on our feelings at the moment. God made us male and female, and he has a plan for the sexes. He expects us to embrace the gender that he's given us. And not only does the Bible teach this truth, I could point to hundreds of scientific studies that document the biological and psychological differences between men and women. Famed Harvard zoologist E.O. Wilson writes, Much of what we ascribe to men and women as socially constructed roles are deeply embedded in our genes. Gender and God's assigned roles are entrenched in the very makeup of of the sexes. Masculinity and femininity result from creation, not just from culture. You see, sameness was never God's plan. The Creator is infinitely creative. The true God is separate from His creation, and He works within it to divide and to specify and to establish roles. And this shows up in gender. God made the sexes not to compete or clash or cancel each other out, but to complement one another. This is why marriage between a man and a woman honors the distinctiveness found in God's creation and in His very nature. It's true gender matters to God. God made men to be men and women to be women. This is why he doesn't want males acting like females and females acting like males. God wants us all to honor and preserve the distinctions, the distinctions that he has created. Now this was the issue that Paul dealt with in his letter to the Corinthians. The Christian men and women in Corinth 
were throwing off distinctions between the sexes that were important in their culture, and they were creating confusion. And Paul takes them back to Genesis and creation to explain the roles that God created for male and female. If you read through 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see the problem. Corinthian women were no longer wearing headscarves, which at the time was a sign of submission in their culture. And this was sending the wrong message to their city. In first century Corinth, a scarf on a woman's head meant that she was under the authority of her father or her husband. Christian women wanted to be under the proper authority, but they were enjoying this new freedom in Christ, and they felt inclined to throw off the scarves. Well, Paul tells them no, lest they confuse the people around them and send the wrong message. Now, obviously, in America, a woman's scarf has nothing to do with her being under biblical authority. A woman with a scarf might just be styling. Or perhaps she just didn't have time to do anything with her hair that morning. Just threw a scarf over it. That's okay. But there are other forms of clothing that do characterize a person's attitude toward God and toward gender and toward the other folks around them. And Paul's point is that all Christian guys and gals should dress and groom in ways that express the right attitude, lest they too send the wrong message. In other words, boys should look and act and think and dress and talk like men, while girls should look and act and think and dress and talk like women. Now, there is a fad that I hope has hit its peak. This is going to sound strange. Men's hosiery. <laughs> Pantyhose for men. Ready or not, here come the men in tights. There's actually a website, legwearformen.com, because men have legs too. It advertises an assortment of male hosiery, control top tights, and footless tights, in opaque tights, in sheer tights, in support tights, and winter tights. The website explains, it has nothing to do with gender confusion. The bulk of our wearers are straight men. Men have worn tights for centuries. The Romans gave their soldiers leggings to wear some 2,000 years ago. Well, that may be true. Good for the Romans, I say. But if really old Romans want to wear pantyhose, that's up to them, not me. I believe there are masculine garments and that there are feminine garments. In fact, this is the thought behind 1 Corinthians 11. Men need to dress like men and women should dress like women. As we've noted, gender matters to God. Before the days of Super Bowl quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, there was Joe Namath. Do you remember Joe Namath? <clears throat> In Super Bowl III, Joe predicted his Jets would upset the favorite Colts. And believe it or not, they did. But after the Super Bowl, Joe did the unthinkable. This macho NFL hero did an ad where he posed in a pair of pantyhose. Over his career, Namath had, had, un, had undergone multiple knee surgeries. So he was the most unlikely candidate to pose in a pair of pantyhose. In fact, here was the punchline to the ad. 
I don't wear pantyhose, but if sheer pantyhose makes my legs look good, think of what they'll do for yours. The basic idea, though, was that men don't wear pantyhose. Now, obviously, society and fashion to an extent and style and culture somewhat dictate what constitutes a masculine article of clothing and a feminine article of clothing. A good example is in Scotland. In Scotland, a kilt is a traditional male garment. But trust me, on the streets of Lilburn, Georgia, a kilt is a frilly skirt. (laughs) At least this guy's carrying a shotgun. That's all I got to say. If I lived in Scotland, I might wear a kilt, but I live here in the South, and here a kilt or pantyhose just ain't manly. This is why I say fight the tights. Just say no siree to hosiery. If we can label anything feminine, it ought to be pantyhose. If you're a guy and you're wearing pantyhose this morning, I'm not condemning you. But please, just don't tell anybody about it. You see, when God created us, he did so male and female. He created us along specific lines with distinction. And we need to honor the distinctions that God has made. This is why boys should dress and look like men, and girls should dress and look like women. Certainly, masculinity, femininity may have changed from culture to culture, even from age to age. But whatever my culture and my era deems as manly clothes, I should wear them. And what it deems as girly, I shouldn't wear them. In a recent article, Jaden Smith, son of actor Will Smith, made this statement. I don't see man clothes and woman clothes. Though Jaden is a straight guy, he wears women's skirts, and he models handbags. In fact, Jaden and his date went to their high school prom both wearing skirts. And like the women in Corinth, Jaden's gender bending is making a statement about male and female. He's saying to young people today that whatever they want to be is just fine. It's their choice. And I'm saying it's not fine. For it is God's choice. God made us male and female. Sadly, people today don't recognize the bigger picture. They don't realize that we humans are more than our fluid and fickle feelings. God in heaven created us. And he created us with a plan and a purpose in mind. People today are suffering from a major identity crisis. This is the big question in our culture. It seems to be prevailing everything that goes on. People are asking the question, who am I? Folks are searching for an identity. Am I a hipster or a geek or a jock or a flirt or a million other different identities? In today's world, people are trying to figure out who they are. And it's common for them to try on a different identity every every week or so. In fact, there are many people today who play internet games where they assume a different persona and spend hours as their virtual selves. Some people get lost in that world. They they forget who they actually are. They try to assume a new identity. And people are definitely confused today over their sexuality. A few bouts of rejection from the opposite sex 
or maybe a warm feeling towards a person of the same sex suddenly gets blown out of proportion and it confuses who we are. A person starts to wonder if there's something wrong with them. Am I straight? Could I be gay or bi? Today we're seeing more and more females who feel and think they might be males and more and more males who feel and think they could be females. And the media's infatuation with all this is only adding fuel to the fire. The media's approach to these issues is causing many young people to question who they really are. If you battle these feelings, let me encourage you to recall your foundation. God created you, and he did so with distinction. If you're a male, embrace your reality and learn to be the man that God desires. And if you're a female, embrace your reality and learn to be the woman God desires. Realize it is sin that has confused and distorted things in this world. Sin has a twisting effect, a contorting effect. All humans are contorted in some way. We're born out of shape. I tend to have stayed that way most of my life. But we're all born out of shape. No one is all that God intended for him or her to be. The Bible says that the first man, Adam, was made in the image and likeness of God, yet sin marred that image. Adam rebelled against God. His sin tossed a wrench into the gears of creation. God's masterpiece was no longer perfect. Sin subjected the creation to hardship. After Adam's blunder, randomness invaded God's orderly universe. It touched all of his creation. Before the fall, weather patterns were calm. Afterwards, winds pumped moisture and fronts collided and storms erupted. And we have the kind of situation that we find in Florida today. Without sin, the lamb lied down with the wolf. Since then, wolves and lambs are no longer sociable. In a world without sin, God's creation stayed alive and vibrant and healthy. Colors didn't fade. Materials never rotted. Skin never sagged. How about that? Eyes never dimmed. Bodies never got sick. It was man's sin that brought disease and decay and deterioration into this world. Before Adam's sin, genetics worked like clockwork. But afterwards, damaged genes caused defects. Now people are born with deformities that make life more difficult for them. And every human who has come after that original sin has been affected by Adam's actions. The theologians call it original sin. Because one man's sin, now all are sinners. And it's not just theologians who believe in this idea of inherited sin. Anybody who observes humanity and tries to explain it comes to this same conclusion. Recently shocked jock Howard Stern of all people. Howard Stern of all people. He said this. You're warped. I'm warped. We are all warped. That's original sin in a nutshell. Howard Stern said it. We're all born warped. We're all twisted in some manner. 
This means that you can say you were born a specific way. A homosexual, or an alcoholic, or violent, or prone to this or that. And though I might disagree with you, I don't even need to argue the point. For understand, what we were born is not necessarily a good thing. We're all born sinners, and that's a very bad thing. The results of sin are always negative, never positive. We're all born twisted and warped in some fashion. That's why it is only when we're born again that we can discover who God meant for us to be and his will for our lives. Jesus told us that we can be born of his spirit. The Holy Spirit's like the cable man. You ever had the cable man come to your house? I mean, that black screen, he, pl- he plugs things in and all of a sudden, boom, everything comes on. The Holy Spirit's like the cable man. God sends his spirit into our hearts to connect us to his eternal life. All of a sudden, we become alive to God and the things of God. And it's once we've been born again that God starts to untwist and untangle us. Oh, it takes time. But he begins to unravel our mess little by little until our lives straighten out. Once there was a family that was staying in a Nigerian hotel. They heard a knock on the door. The dad opened it and he found a man standing there smiling. This African gentleman said that he was ready to clean their room. Well, the family was embarrassed. I mean, they had just arrived. Bags and clothes, wet towels were scattered around everywhere. The dad began to apologize. That's when this young Nigerian told him. He said, no problem, sir. For this reason I have come, to put your things in order. And it's for this reason that Jesus came into this world to untwist our confusion, and to put our lives in proper order. Don't think God expects you to untwist and untangle your confusion on your own before he saves you. That's not how Christianity works. When we open up our hearts to Jesus, he takes us as is. Then he does the untangling and the rearranging of our identity and the straightening out of our lives. We all struggle with sin of some sort. Just because a person battles with a same-sex attraction, that doesn't mean they're going to hell. Jesus calls on us to trust in him. He promises to help us overcome our temptations. Sometimes we think, oh, my life is so confused, so knotted up. There's just no way that I can be the type of person that God desires. You need to trust Jesus. You need to let him figure it out. He's promised to. Read his word, and as you do, act on what he says, and he'll begin to untwist the knots. I've talked to people with homosexual tendencies who don't ever remember not feeling the way they do. Our gender identity forms very early in our lives. At times, childhood experiences beyond our control can twist our psyche. Some folks believe they were born homosexual. But as I said earlier, just being born a certain way doesn't make it preferable. An alcoholic has physical, a physical chemical propensity toward alcoholism. Some psychologists suggest there's a gene that triggers violent behavior. Even if both are true, it doesn't justify alcoholism and violence. We'd help both persons overcome their sin, and we'd hold them responsible if they gave in to it. 
Suppose a person's driving home on a windy mountain road when suddenly an urge out of nowhere comes over them and suggests that they swerve off the highway, over the guardrail, down the ravine to their certain death. Is it a good idea to follow that urge? Well, of course not. It would be foolish, self-destructive to act on that impulse. But why is it our society today suggests that every urge needs to be acted on? Every impulse needs to be followed. Guys, not all urges come from God. The, The person who always goes with their gut or their feelings or their urges ends up creating a lot of trouble for themselves. God has given us wisdom. He has given us his word to direct us. That's how we should live, by the book. Today, homosexual activists want to make it a crime to help a person change their sexual orientation. I'm afraid they are fighting against Jesus. For Jesus wants to unravel and untangle all of our twisted identities. Gender is God-given. Our creator wants men to be masculine and women to be feminine. Sex is God-arranged. It is to be enjoyed in heterosexual marriage. If you're a Christian who struggles with gender confusion, or if you stumbled into homosexual sin, it doesn't mean that God is through with you. He loves you. God loves you. In Christ, you're still accepted. Jesus is merciful. He can work changes in your life. In all of us, God seeks to untangle our twistedness, but we have to be willing We have to see our sin as God sees it. To insist that homosexuality is God's will for you is to defile and blur the picture that God wants to paint. You can't call good evil and evil good and inherit God's kingdom. God created us male and female, and he can supply us with the appropriate attractions that we need to fulfill our role. Remember, gender matters to God. If you desire to overcome, here's what has to occur. The reason our lives are twisted is our sin, the sin in which we were born. That's why the first step to get untangled is to be born again. It's to give your life to Jesus. Receive his spirit, connect to his life, and he'll begin to work in your heart. He'll begin to shape a new you. Let me answer this question one last time. Why does gender matter? Because it matters to God. Our Creator speaks to us through male and female. It's part of being created in His image. God expects us to embrace how He's made us and with His help live accordingly. God never fails. Let's put our trust in Him.